You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! The Homeless Gospel Choir is punk as fuck. Led by protest singer Derek Zanetti, their brand new album, This Land Is Your Landfill, is the first foray into full band territory, with Zanetti trading in his acoustic guitar and bringing in new collaborators to make music that is louder, more intense, and more layered than anything he's done in the past. While realistically addressing many modern issues, Zanetti remains positive, allowing listeners to feel activated rather than hopeless. We talk about this and so much more today on Fly on the Call, so stay tuned and enjoy. I think I saw you're doing like a mixtape trade with Billy from Silverstein. Is that true? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're doing a we're doing a cassette tape trade together. Oh, that's pretty cool. How, how did that uh, connection end up happening? Um, he plays hockey with Chris too from Anti Flag, and he knows that we're both like super big cassette tape nerds. So, like, wanted to do this mixtape swap with me. So, I'm making him a mixtape. Nice. <laughs> do you like? Are you gonna go all out for the packaging and stuff, or just keep it to you know your basic? Um, I want to keep it pretty standard and, and legible, and um, but I'm doing like a pretty a pretty interesting mixtape. So I'm doing um, uh, my, a, a song from a band, and then another band to cover that band. So for example, side A starts with the Beatles, Her Majesty. And then the second song is the Breeders covering Happiness is a Warm Gun. And then songs three and four are the Beach Boys, Heroes and Villains. And then the fourth song is Black from the Pixies covering Hang On to Your Ego. So it's like the Beach Boys and then somebody covering a Beach Boys song. Very nice. <laughs> that's... And that's like, I'm trying to keep that concept congruent for the whole 20 songs. I'm about halfway there. I think I'll be all right. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> what is it about, like, cassettes that kind of draws you to them? I love the way they look on the wall. I like how compact they are. Um, they're super inexpensive. Like, if I wanted to buy a copy of Black Flag Damage, uh, like, or, you know, if I wanted, that's not a good example. If I wanted to buy a copy of Lag Wagon Duh, on vinyl it would cost me like 80 bucks mm. but if i wanted to buy a copy of lag wagon duh on cassette i can get one for like six or seven dollars <laughs> that makes it's sense super sure. inexpensive <laughs> they're they're like if i was gonna get like also too when i travel a lot i like to buy physical media and like go to record shops and i was on tour and i was just coming home with like so much vinyl because it's so heavy i could <laughs> buy 30 
to keep them in my book bag if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's that portability, and I guess the easiness of you know making a mixtape too. Like you can't do that with a record. <laughs> no, and like there's a warmth to a cassette. Like if you have a good head and you have a good recording setup, like there's a very amazing warmth to a making a good mixtape. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and I mean, you you mentioned the Pixies as being. Um, one of the bands that, um, that it's going to be on the mixtape. And I know you've been like mentioning them as a big influence for um, this land is your land. Phil, can you tell me about, about like that band and your connection with them? Um, I just, I, I can remember, um, I can remember having some friends suggest me listening to the Pixies. And when I heard it, it just sounded like the biggest thing I'd ever heard. It sounded like, the drums were recorded in hell. They were so deep and they went on forever. And like, I, I was, I just became like pretty obsessed with the sound of, of how they recorded their records and the tones that they used and the way that they made their records sound. And I just became enthralled with it. And um, I just wanted to create, I wanted to create something that like also embodied that type of like bigness. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. It was that so? Was that more like a more recent discovery for you? Um, yes. I mean, the Pixies. I, I, I probably, I, I certainly hadn't listened to the Pixies, you know, before. I mean, probably like in the last like fifteen years, I would say. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Like, if they're not a band that I discovered whenever I was young, they were a band that I discovered like much later, like post college. <laughs> And what was it like about this album that kind of made you uh, feel the need to make that transition from like full band from solo to like full band and expand the sound and stuff? I was having I was having just the worst time inside my mind writing slow, sad acoustic songs, and I, I just I, I didn't feel very much connected to you know what people um, would note to be like folk punk or like <laughs> anything like that. I mean, I would always get lumped in that because I'm playing fast acoustic punk songs on an acoustic guitar. So, like, I understand why people would, you know, uh, uh, put that uh, in, you know, put me in that same uh, 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 area. But, like, you know, if I'm being honest with myself about the way that I'm feeling inside my mind and, like, about the music that I was, I was hearing and the sounds that I was hearing and the, and the way that I was feeling... I was hearing something that was like super loud and super chaotic and noisy with like big, huge guitars and, 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 and tons of voices and layered vocals. And I wasn't hearing anything folky at all. Um, it was, it was just super loud and punk and fast. And, and that's like, I guess that's how it naturally just had to come out because that's how I was, I was feeling super spastic and feeling super out of control. And that's kind of how the record feels to me anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely get those feelings as well. Um, it's it's funny. It didn't like fully stand out to me the difference between um, like normal and the new album until I like I think this morning I'd listened to normal first and then put on this land is your landfill. But um, mm -hmm. once I put normal on back after that was when I really noticed like the difference in the sounds because there's very much I feel like your kind of like attitude has has always been kind of like boisterous and stuff. So yeah, that shines through even when it's not necessarily like you know, the full band chaos that you have going on now. <laughs> How was it like channeling that same kind of energy that you've always had into like this new um, side of things? I guess I had to, you know, when I was first thinking about these songs and writing them and making them, I had to think about how I wanted to show them live. And I knew that I couldn't show these songs by myself live. 
So I had to think about like, how could I write these songs to be performed in my by a live big punk band? A band with somebody that I that that knew the 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 heart and the idea of the thing that I wanted to make and would be true and congruent to it, but would also help me progress and make this into a full band um, accompaniment. Mm-hmm. And um, Matt Miller from Endless Mike and the Beagle Club and I got together and we wrote most of this record together. And uh, uh, I couldn't think of somebody better to help me like make my ideas as big as I wanted them to be. Cause I, I you know, um, yeah. And then just like the band that I have that we have surrounding it, Megan and Maura and Craig, they're literally just the best. Like I don't, <laughs> they hold it all together. Like I don't even have to play my fucking guitar. I don't, I can just, I can just let it feed back and scream my head off and they hold it all together like super duper well. Um, I, I feel like I hit the fucking punk rock lottery. <laughs> That's awesome. And I mean, so like taking into account like the live show, was, was it an attempt to like recreate it in the studio or make it, you know, more of its own, um, you know, unique experience? Well, I just, I knew that there was more happening. There was more layered chords. There was more... Um, melody, there was more, all of that happening in these new songs. And um, if, if if that's the way we were going to record them, like I could still play normal acoustic and have it be like a fun sing-along campfire song, or I could play crazy from from the record normal fast and like have like a nice campfire sing-along thing. But I, I, I certainly couldn't do that with these songs off the new record and like have the same type of vibe. And like I wanted to make something that was extraordinarily like band specific and like really showcase the multi you know uh all the different shit that's going on and being able to try and do it live and like i it's wild that we're able to we're able to so far we've been able to accomplish it yeah and like what has like for you as a performer like what has the transition been like like the feeling on stage or the crowd reactions and stuff it's been absolutely remarkable it's it's um Everybody who was into it before is still into it. And it's just, it's just a better thing. It's a better, it's a better presentation of, 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 um, of something that, that, uh, uh, it's just a better presentation of it. Mm-hmm. If you like the, if you like the old songs and, and, um, you like the old show, everybody else really likes the full band just as much, really. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And, um, I mean, like, what would you, like, how would you describe, like, a live homeless gospel choir show? I want you to remember or just think about for a moment, like, how it felt to belong and, like, what it felt like to have friends and, like, go to a show and, like, for there to be excitement and joy and wonder and everyone's there together and, like, giving high fives and there's not, like, a hierarchy or a cool kid's lunch table everybody gets to participate and be as involved as they'd like to be where together we get to create a, a, an amazing platform an amazing opportunity to to to, to practice egalitarianism and, and 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 say no to the evils of this world like sexism and racism and homophobia and create like a truly organic atmosphere where people can belong and plug into something that's bigger and greater than themselves um like music and, and like friendship and like community. And hopefully at the show, we're able to provide that uh, platform for people to connect with one another in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the bio, it kind of like, 
you know, mentioned that, you know, over the like the last 10 or so years that you've been doing this, you kind of like have amassed kind of like a cult following in a way, which I guess kind of sounds right. kind of like what you're describing as well. Like how, how did that kind of start to form for you? Well, I think we all want to belong in some way. We all want to be a part of something. We all want to be, um, we all want our voice to be heard and we all want to know that we're being represented in some way. And um, I thought if there was any place in the whole world, people who've, 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 you know, suffered true brokenness and people who have truly been abandoned by society and people who have truly been marginalized and oppressed could come and gather and, and be a part of something. I think there's something that's truly magical there. All the kids who never got picked for kickball and then all the people who went off and fought and died, you know, fought for the, you know, uh, for, for their country and came back and were discarded and told they were no good or people who were prone to go to prison or people who didn't have a fair chance like for them to have a place to come to and belong and to grow and to have a community of other people who are willing to do good things like I just want to I, I just wanted to, to like be a um uh uh be a place for people to come and to gather and to like experience joy and it's just been, I don't know. I think that's what punk rock should be. I mean, in, an, in a utopian world, um, this interview aside, like, wouldn't that be nice if just like people who, who really needed to belong had a place to belong where they felt like they could be themselves, regardless of like gender or skin color or who their parents are? Like, that's fucking sick that people get to do that in punk rock. And we just want to like play a small role by letting them know that that's like, super important to us too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's like super cool to be kind of like the facilitator of that and like a, a special thing for sure. Um, and I, like you've referred to yourself in kind of like your social media and stuff as like a protest singer. And I mean, that obviously fits in line a lot with, you know, the the lyrical content of the album. But I'm, I'm curious, like, how does that, how did you come to view yourself as that? Well, um, I think, um, I think anybody who is dissatisfied with, uh, you know, how people are being treated and how people are being looked at and how power is abusive and how our tax dollars don't represent us. I think anytime you mention something like that, um, not just in a song, but maybe in a, in a, in a post or in a poem or in a, in a short story as a form of protest, raising your voice to something that you think is unfair you know, Johnny Cash was a protest singer, singing about what it was like to be a prisoner in Folsom Prison. Even though, you know, there's rumor that he never spent one hour in Folsom Prison. <laughs> he was still telling this, like, super amazing narrative of what it's like to have solidarity with those who've been in prison. And, like, certainly was a protest singer. And you think about Woody Guthrie, who sang songs about, like, why, why the rent got to be so damn high and, and, and yada, yada, yada. And, like, they're addressing power and they're speaking on behalf of those who've been marginalized. And I just think it's a, you know, it's a, um, it's a great tradition to be a part of and to use the, the time that I have on this earth and the platform that I have to raise awareness to people who, who need help and to make my, my time here, um, you know, working towards a more fair place to be for everybody. I just think it's a, I don't know, I just think it's a, a duty that I have and mm -hmm. I try and uh, be sensitive to that. And what were like kind of your roots as far as being politically active? Like where did that kind of 
spark come from for you? Well, I, I, um, to be honest with you, like growing up as a kid, I was extraordinarily conservative. My parents were both members of a very evangelical right wing conservative church. So like my, my politics didn't really come into play until I, I, you know, until I came into my own well after I broke away from that. But I, I feel like as somebody who actively was on the other side of it, um, uh, trying to be, trying to be a counterweight now in my elder, in, in, you know, in my elder punk years, um, I don't know. I think I owe some sort of like payback to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you, you had mentioned that like, um, you know, this land is your landfill is kind of like your first time, you know, really collaborating. Um, like how, and you said like, you know, the people that you kind of amassed around you were kind of ended up being the perfect people for you. How did that process kind of uh, start for you? Well, I was on tour in Europe with a band called the Arkells from Canada and Frank Turner. And, um, I was, uh, I was playing first every night and at the end of my set, the Arkells would come up and we would finish the set off as a full band. And it was, uh, it was just a wonderful expression and it was loud. And I, I really liked how it made me feel. And, um, I think I just grew tired of just, uh, you know, being up there by myself. It's, 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 it's often lonely when you're on that big, huge stage all by yourself and the only person, you know, you got to balance it all on your own. It it grows to be a bit difficult at times. And just to be able to be up there with other people and to share the joy and excitement that I want to provide with those songs with other people and trying to make some sort of like, um, um, you know, new expression of it. Um, that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, for sure. And was it like, was it kind of like scary for you to start reaching out and start, you know, kind of handing over the reins in some ways for the creative process? No, I trust, I, I, Matt played in one of the most important, he played in a band called Endless Mike and the Beagle Club, and they're from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and like, that was a band that got me into punk rock, like, it was a super important band for me, and like, having him be a part of the thing that I'm doing was just like, I just, I trust him, to, I trust, I love his musical taste, and like, I know he would only help me make my songs better, and <laughs> he has, and it's, um, it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful it was a wonderful partnership to be a part of in writing these songs with them. It's, it was great. Yeah, and that kind of like fits in with one of the lines that stood out for me. I think from one of the interviews that I read, where you're saying how like you know sad music should still be a celebration of some kind, and it, it seems like bringing in extra people has really helped you with that. Like, can you talk a bit about you know about your feelings with that? Yeah, it's just great to be there when I look up there and there's my friends are around me and we're making this music together and we're all singing together and enjoying it. And the energy that we get to make together as a group of people. Um, I hope that it's contagious. You know, I hope, hopefully when, you know, when you're smiling, man, I'm smiling. When you're having a good time, I'm having a good time. When you're dancing, I'm dancing. And when you're, you know, now that we have to go to virtual shows now, you know, we don't get to go to punk shows and basements. We have to do it like over Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, people are doing like digital shows now, which is great. But like, I can't wait like to have those feelings where I'm in a room and like, I don't have to digitally circle pit. Or I don't have to <laughs> like, you know, you know, I don't have to do some sort of like Instagram, you know, stage dive. Where like I get to be in an actual punk show with my friends and like get sweaty and like have a, it, I don't know. It feels so good to do it with other people. I just love it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I feel like the you know the, the way that you write your lyrics, even though they are oftentimes kind of like you know pointing out some of the the harsher realities of the world, there is a kind of like you know a part of it that is still kind of like activating you and trying to show that there is something you can do to make a difference. Is that like a mindset that you've purposely tried to incorporate in the music? I think that, um, I think it's easy today to be a bummer. I think that's an easy, cheap get just to say how rough it is and how sad it is and how, how terrible it is. I think that's the easy, that's an easy laugh. That's, 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 that's an easy pander. And I think the harder work is to figure out what we, what can we do to like laugh throughout the shitlum, and like how can we make ourselves truly vulnerable in a way that we're working to like make this world better for all of us, and not just being so introspective and so selfish and wondering about how bad it is that you have it, rather than like well, what can we do to make it better, and like offering some tangible answers into like you know. Hey, if you're 36 years old and you hate your life and you think that the world is absolutely worthless and pointless and that you want to die, you can start a punk band and go on tour. I did. And it fucking ruled. Like it was the best. Like you could change it and you can fix it. And I think we need to have more conversations about like what solutions look like rather than like just crying about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like, how do you kind of, um, is it hard for you to keep that, you know, that more open and positive mentality? Yes. It's almost a place <laughs> impossible. I mean, it, it, it certainly doesn't come naturally. You know, it's just like anything else. If you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be an athlete or vegan or Presbyterian or anything, you know, you have to work towards it and you have to show up and, you, you know, positivity for me is something that I have to work on every day to remain positive. And it's something that I have to do a lot to, to, keep myself accountable and to be productive and to make art and to stick to a schedule and all that kind of stuff. So how do you, how have you been keeping yourself motivated lately? I have the most rigid schedule you could possibly imagine. <laughs> it's uh, I'm, I wake up every morning at 5am, whether, you know, I'm up. I don't even need an alarm clock. I just wake up at that time every day. And I have just a list of things that day that I need to accomplish and I set up enough things throughout the week that mandatorily forced me to be on top of my, um, my responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So like every day I have art therapy for two hours where I, where I do a meditated guided art thing with, uh, on like a zoom, not on the zoom call, but on like a, a guided, uh, web, web call where I have like a live feed type of a thing. And it's like super relaxing and meditative. I mean, we can't go and meet in, part, in person. So we have to do the best that you have with what you got. Um, yeah, I just have like a schedule. And then I have my meal schedule in there and we're cooking a lot. So the amount of time that it takes for me to get up and to go ahead and cook something that's fresh and wholesome and healthy and then make it and then sit down and then eat it and then clean up after it and then get back to work. It just takes up like a whole bunch of my day. And I just try and like keep everything like routine and struggle and like structured so that like, before I know it, it's 1030 and I'm tired and I'm ready to go to bed. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've definitely found that like, you know, having those things set that where you feel like you're accomplishing something each day really does make a difference, even yeah. if it's something small. <laughs> and to be honest with you, like, I'm, I'm honestly, utterly shocked at how well I'm doing with my mental health. Like, 
if you told me that I had to stay inside my house and not talk to my friends for three weeks and I was supposed to be okay with that, I would, uh, I'd have laughed at you. But like, <laughs> I'm surprisingly doing very well. I, I wish I had like some great meltdown story to give you, but I don't have any. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sticking to my routine. I'm drinking a ton of water. I'm taking all my vitamins. Um, I'm doing my meditations. Like I'm really doing good. It's kind of sick. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that. And like, how has it been having your kind of, you know, obviously the release schedule itself hasn't been, you know, drastically changed, but the, with, you know, all the big the tor- plans for touring and everything, how were you, how did you kind of handle that initial like blow? I cried a bunch. It made me so sad, truthfully. Like all the work that I've done for the last two years in, in making this record and writing this record with Matt and traveling to Harrisburg to demo out this record five times and then doing the demos again with Chris too from Anti-Flag and then going into the studio with the band and then making the record and mixing the record and bringing a band together and practicing and bringing people in from like bringing half the band in from Cincinnati and the other half the band in from Harrisburg and then like booking our own DIYs, like everything that we did to build up to like to this very moment of us being on tour right this very second. And then like also us releasing this record while we were on the tour. Mm -hmm. Um, I cried. I was so absolutely sad about it, but, and I allowed myself to be sad for like a day, like truthfully, like sad, and I just ate a whole bunch of bullshit that I wasn't <laughs> supposed to. And my wife got really mad because I'm not supposed to have a bunch of sugar because I get in trouble. And um, I ate so much candy and just laid in bed. I was so incredibly sad. But now I'm like, there's nothing I can do about it. Everybody's tours canceled. Everyone's life is on pause. So I don't know, fucking May, June, July. I'm not sure. But whenever we're all allowed back out and allowed to go to shows, like we're just going to pick right back up where we came from. You know, we have a tour booked in November that we missed out on here in April. We're going to go ahead and, and, and do some other touring um, on our own here and here and back for some places. And, if, and the second we're allowed out, we're just going to do like little weekends here and there, you know, to Chicago and back, to, to Boston and back, down to, you know, uh, Washington, D.C. and back. And just do like stuff that's like centrally located to like Pittsburgh and just like go for it when we can. I'm sure those shows, uh, when we come back, are going to be really energetic for everyone involved, too. <laughs> I just want, yeah, I, I'm not worried. There's a lot of people in the music industry who are worried, and I understand it. And I'm also worried, too, about some of the bigger things. Like, you know, people are really worried that Live Nation's going to lose money. I don't give a fuck about Live Nation or if they lose money or not. But what I care about is, like, small little independent places that hold two and three and four hundred people so that like that punk rock can still exist and like i'm not worried one bit like punk rock is going to find a way we'll book shows in a vfw we'll book shows at a fire hall we'll book shows in a church basement like we're going to have shows i'm not worried about that one bit but like i'm worried about like the places who've been there that have like supported punk rock mom and pop bars that hold 250 people who've had to close for three and four months that might not be able to open back up this summer like that's the thing that i'm scared and worried and nervous about for sure yeah i mean it's been i feel like it's been really heartening like seeing so much support for a lot of those you know the small bands and businesses and venues and everything but it is also really scary at the same time because you know so many people are in the same boat especially the people who are you know part of this scene (laughs) 
we were laughing the other we were laughing the other day about um, with all the DIY punk bands that we know that are that are selling T-shirts on the internet that it's been the same five twenty dollar bills that have just circulated from band <laughs> to band. Everyone's just buying that same T-shirt and pitching that twenty bucks around. Yeah, I've definitely thought the same around the same stuff as well. It's, I mean, yeah, it's there definitely needs to be. Hopefully some bigger changes coming at some point as well. It's going to be different. It's not going to be the way that it was. We're not going to be able to return to the world like we had it before. Things have changed now and things are in in, in motion and things have halted and stopped that might not be able to come back to the way that we had it before. You have to, you know, if punk rock is important to you, put your money in punk rock when you're off here and, and invest in bands and buy records and buy t-shirts online if 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 organic coffee is important to you go to the local (laughs) roaster and make sure that you're supporting them whenever we have this weird time off so that whenever we get to come back to the world and come back to like regular shit you know your favorite coffee place is still open yeah for sure and i mean i feel like that kind of you know making the best out of a a negative situation kind of work fits in with a lot of the themes on the album and the artwork as well which was something that i wanted to hit on because i just uh, I really love the style and like the the imagery is obviously very um, very interesting. I was wondering if you could tell me about how the artwork came together. Um, well, Doug Dean is art was the art director for this album, and he's the best. He's done artwork um, for Anti Flag and Less Than Jake and Good Charlotte and ev- a, a bunch of a bunch of big punk bands and. Um, he, 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 uh, we, we, to take that photo of me on the cover on the surfboard, we had to go to a room that was big enough to set up the surfboard rig in the city. So we, um, we got in, we, 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 we got the, our photographer's studio is in the Roberto Clemente Museum here in Pittsburgh. So that photo was actually shot in the Roberto Clemente Museum right here in Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I, it, it's, it's a picture of me surfing on this big, huge wave of trash in the ocean. And I guess it's a, I guess for me, the symbolism in it is, you know, things are going crazy all around you. And, and we're all, we're always in between school shootings and, and, and worldwide pandemics and, and irresponsible presidential tweets and um, the Kardashians and everything else that we're always getting absolutely pummeled with. And just bombardments of just trash, wave after wave of trash. Like, what is our responsibility to that? Are we going to allow those waves to just crush us forever? Or are we going to try and get on the surfboard and smile our way through it? Um, and hopefully we were able to embody that symbolism a little bit in our Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you've talked a lot about, you know, like punk music. And I'm curious, like, what does punk mean to you? Obviously, it's like, you know, so different definitions between everyone I'm, I'm just curious what your take on it is well in um in 1994 when i was 11 years old uh there was this band called green day and they put out a record they put out this record called dookie and um it kind of changed the whole world for a while um i'd never heard anything like it in my life i had never heard any type of music like that i'd never seen people dress like that with spiky green hair and like, you know, I, I'd never heard someone talk like that. It was an absolute culture shock to me. And I had to know what this thing called punk rock was and I had to find out more about it. And um, 
I think there there's an excitement that I that I had when I found it, and I think there's like this excitement around making something that's new and making something that's um, unique and maybe something that you know uh, uh, um, is exciting. And I think that's what punk rock is. It doesn't necessarily have to be like you know leather jackets and spiky hair and you know tattoos of a, a, you know a bad religion tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you have a tambourine and a penny whistle and you really have something to sing about, that's well more punk to me, in my opinion, than like anything, you know, on, on a specific record label that happens to be punk. And and just like, you know, that feeling that I had whenever I first listened to Green Day Dookie when I was 11 years old is the same feeling I have when I, you know, when I listened to Bjork for the first time. It was something that was new and radical and that I'd never heard before. And mm-hmm. somebody was expressing themselves artistically in a way that was like defiant. And like, that's what's punk to me. And like, that's what's, you know, gets me excited anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and going off that, like what's kind of the most unexpectedly punk thing that you've found? Unexpectedly punk thing that I've found? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> um, unexpectedly punk. Oh my goodness. Um, there is um, there's a woman, her name's Kate Tempest, and she's British. She lives in London, and um, she put out this hip-hop record called Let Them Eat Chaos, and I was really in, the record came out in two different ways. There was a record called Let Them, uh, um, Let Them Beat Chaos and Let Them Speak Chaos. Let Them Speak Chaos was the spoken word poetry of the hip hop record and Let Them Beat Chaos was just the hip hop beats of the album. And I was so enthralled with the beats of the album, I never even listened to the words of it. Like, I didn't care. I didn't know what she sounded like. I didn't know what her bars were like at all. I was just so, like, enamored with the beats that were made. And then I listened to her album. I listened to her songs due to a recommendation that I received from a friend. I was like, oh, I know this. And then I listened to the words, and it, like, it blew my mind. Um, If you have a chance to listen to Kate Tempest, um, Let Them Eat Chaos, you should. It's a super amazing political hip-hop record from the uk came out maybe um maybe three years ago maybe awesome that sounds really cool i'm definitely i have that i'm writing that down in my notes so i remember to check it out and i mean i like to usually wrap up by you know asking for either i mean we've hit on a lot of good stuff already but just asking for like a piece of advice or kind of something you've been thinking about lately um either about music or about life or the world in general like whatever you've kind of would like to offer to listeners um, I think the world needs, um, needs more art. I think it needs more of that. I think whenever people are making art and they're creating things and they're expressing themselves in an artistic way, they embody greater kindness and they embody greater empathy and they embody, um, a different type of, a deeper type of, a different type of deeper spirituality that connects us to each other more so than any way like a religion could. So I, I would just suggest people like, you know, hey, if you work a job that you hate and your boss fucking sucks, start a punk band with the people that you like work with and just write songs about your shitty boss and like how you want to burn down the break room. Or I don't know, <laughs> you, I, you know, if you're in school together with a bunch of your friends and your science teacher is just an absolute butthole, instead of like failing out to spite the science teacher, just like 
start a band about how absolutely um how much you don't like your science teacher i don't know like i i think that punk rock can solve and answer a lot of our problems but i know that not everybody likes punk rock so any type of art if you're making a zine or poetry or you or you draw cartoons um, i just think it's super therapeutic to get your to get your wiggles out by creating something and being able to look at it and say hey look i made this thing i created this thing and this thing is valuable because i created it and i also have value and that's why it's valuable too and i just think like it's good for you and it's good for everybody else so um go out there and, and make art start a <laughs> punk band start a jazz quartet um make a zine do an art series and put it up on Etsy of your favorite cartoons of you know your favorite characters of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. I don't know. Just go for it and do it. Um, I think it's important. For sure. Yeah, and I feel like you know people sometimes people get like really hung up on the way that like others take them and or will potentially take them and stuff. But I feel like you know just the process of creating, even if it doesn't end up being shared with anyone, is you know such an important thing for sure. Yeah, it's for you. <laughs> Awesome. And was there anything that I haven't hit on that you have been wanting to get out there? I just think it's important to say and to note that the Homeless Gospel Choir is a loud punk band. There's nothing folk or folk punk about it. Um, <laughs> if there's, if there's, it, it, it's just a loud, ruckus, fast punk band. And if there was any type of like thing I wanted people to leave with is that the Homeless Gospel Choir is a band and has nothing to do with folk punk. Thanks so much for tuning in, and thanks to Derek for taking the time to make the important music he does, and taking the time to talk. Be sure to give This Land Is Your Landfill a spin. We're all still socially distancing, and I know you have time on your hands. It's an awesome updated version of the Homeless Gospel Choir, and I really hope to catch a live set when things start to get back to normal. I can't wait. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FindTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FindTheCallPod at gmail.com. Wear a mask, wash your hands, and I'll see you next week. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.